the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. When you begin a new study of a particular book, it's important for you to spend some time understanding its background, how it got written, why it was written, and maybe an overview of the book. So it's going to sound a little bit more technical. And yet I could sense that those of you that are more into the academic world, you're going to say, right on, I really want something with a little bit more substance and not a lot of fluff and jokes and things. I really want to get into the book. So for you, there will be that. But also for the rest of us, we also want to learn something that we can take home with us. So at the end of today's message, I'm going to give you five areas about this book that I'd like you to pray about so that you can own it for yourself. So it's not just you're in a class, I teach, you listen. It's going to be that we're going to go on this journey of discovering the Lord together by diving into the pool of Scripture using the Gospel of John as our diving board to do that. So I hope it'll be a great study for you. It certainly has been for me as I've been preparing for this study. It's been just totally awesome. But before I even get into the book of John here, I'd like to answer some questions like, Pastor, why are you doing the book of John? You might recall that a few uh, months ago I asked you to give to me your opinion of whether I should teach through John, Romans, or Nehemiah. And it seems like, although it was somewhat divided, there really was a desire for me to teach the book of John. And I'm glad because there are some definite reasons why I'm personally involved in wanting to teach this. I taught the book of Colossians and there were 95 verses and I preached 22 messages. Ephesians had 155 verses and I preached 43 sermons. John has 879 verses. So I know right away you're saying, how long are you going to be in this series? If Ephesians took you one year, John could take you five and a half years. Well, frankly, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this book. I've taught a lot of other New Testament books, uh, church level, preach through them, Bible college level, but the Gospel of John will be a very first for me. So I'm looking forward to going through this with you. So as I studied and prepare it, this is all brand new, fresh out of the oven material. And I do thank the Lord for those that are out there that have gone through the book before me that I can learn from. But at the same time, we're going to learn together. There's a gentleman by the name of Don Carson. He wrote a, a book called The Gospel According to John. And on page 102, he warns guys like me about preaching too long through one particular book of the Bible, especially since John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, talk about believing in the Lord. And that theme is just all over the book of John. So he cautions us about doing that. And I want you to know that I'm really seriously taking his caution to heart. So there will be times when there's a need or a demand that we will move away from the book of John for a while and teach some other things and then come back to the book of John. So again, I don't know how long we're going to be in it. I will be almost 62 years of age when I start this study of John with you. And since it's the, uh, I guess, the fourth longest book in the Bible, you might say, why are you starting it so late in life? You know, you could die in the middle of preaching this. And I thought, you know... I could think of no better book in the Bible to die in while I'm preaching than that particular book. I really could. Now, to shock you a little more, 
I would love to be able to teach as a companion book the book of Romans. And the book of Romans has 433 verses in that particular book. And it's, called, it's often referred to as the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. And so I would like to leave you with understanding those two books, John and Romans, before the Lord might take me home. Now, I am planning to stay here as long as God wants me, and I'm looking for a long, uh, healthy time being here with you all. And if I get sick, I'll know one of you are praying against me. No, I'm just joking. But if you'll continue to pray, this is going to be a great study. But I want to give you some of my personal reasons why I want to teach this book. So it's not just, hey, you want to teach it? What else? Let's close my eyes, open the book, and then stick my finger in it, and then we're going to preach on that. I want to teach it to you, my number one reason, and if I died after this one, it'd be all enough, and that is because it is God's Word, I have to preach God's Word, and we have to learn God's Word to apply God's Word for God's glory, so it's God's Word, and the discipline of preaching through a book, verse by verse, is tremendous discipline for me, but it's also giving a more well-rounded meal. I already mentioned to you I've never preached through one of the four Gospels, so this is a void in my life that I really would like to fill, because I know it's going to change me. Yea, make me better. And I hope you'd be praying that I too would grow and become a better man, a better pastor, a better husband. And I know God's word can do that. And John is a great place to do it. But there's also a unique majesty in the book of John about Jesus Christ. So when we study the book of John, while I'll spend the day introducing you to John, it's really not about John, it's really going to be about Jesus Christ, because we're going to paint from the book of John this glorious portrait of who Christ is, because he really reveals himself so beautifully in the book of John. And then there's also that John is unparalleled in the balance between doctrine and how to live the Christian life. And so you will be learning doctrine, especially those of you that are confronted with people that doubt the uh, deity of Christ and who he is and even the veracity of Scripture, as well as some of you that say, I already know all of that, I'm fine with that, but I want to know how do I make it through every single day? My faith is weak and how do I strengthen that? And we'll be able to teach you that through this particular book as well. Wonderful balance. It'll also help us to have an intimate relationship with Christ. And this is where I am particularly sensitive about I know that you can teach the, the Bible doctrinally, which we will, and I'll be as sound in doctrine as I know how to be. But while it is a doctrine book, it is also about the life of Jesus Christ. So we want to have solid orthodoxy, but we also want to have the living Christ as well. So we have the written Christ and the living Christ. So coming together is going to be a beautiful opportunity for us to really know the Lord. And then maybe my final reason for doing this is because truly, maybe over the last few years, and it seems to be louder and louder in my life. I really am desperate to know the Lord more than ever in my life. I don't know why we all should do that, but now I just hunger after knowing the Lord. And I believe the Gospel of John is certainly going to help me in my own intimacy and in my own thirst for the glory of God. In his book, a Puritan by the name of Owen wrote this, The revelation of Christ deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our utmost diligence in them. What better preparation can there be for our future enjoyment of the glory of Christ than in a constant previous contemplation of that glory in the revelation that is made in the gospel? So there is no better discipline than we can have than to know his book, to know the glory of the Lord. There is no book that I think is better balanced to begin with talking about how that Jesus Christ is God who has made flesh for you and me. And then to end the book on John chapter 20 that says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. However, 
but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So if I could give you a simple one phrase theme of this entire book of where I'm going, it's simply this, a belief for life. And unpack that all you want. What does believe mean? Believe in who? A belief and then for life. Life here and the life to come. And the Gospel of John is going to teach us that. So that's why we're going into this Gospel. And I pray that you'll be here. I know that the realities of life is that you may miss a Sunday. And I'll miss a Sunday too as I travel and speak and perhaps be at other places occasionally. But should that be the case with you, I would like you to make a personal commitment to the Lord that you will go back to study John, get the tapes, get the CDs, listen to it on the radio, however you can get a copy of it, so that you won't miss a part of the truth that's given to you. In addition to that encouragement, let me also encourage you to follow along with a commentary at home. Get yourself a good Bible. I would encourage all of you to read through the book of John. Now, you could do it very quickly. One chapter a day, three weeks, boom, the book's done. That's not how we're going to finish it. But I encourage you to read it. Some of you that are looking to say, you know, I need to go back to memorizing some scripture. Well, I could give you a memorization plan that might be good for you. Or you can just start in the beginning with John chapter 1 and start there and go through it. So let me encourage you to do that. If you don't have a good Bible, let me encourage you to get a good literal translation. Maybe you can have an equivalency translation, but get a good one. Uh, My primary text will come from the New King James Version, but I'm not a New King James only guy, but I need to have a primary text. So I will be doing other texts from time to time, but that'll be a part of it. So you're going to see that while I'll be preaching, I'm not going to be your Bible banger, pulpit pounder preacher. I'll be more of a teacher, but I'm really hoping that this won't be just an academic study in God's Word. It will stimulate your thinking because we are to love Him with all of our mind, but it'll also love Him with our heart so that there's that intimacy with the Lord as well. So with that, I'd like to begin today's message, and I called it, may I introduce you to John, and so I'm going to give you some selected verses. Now, while we might not unpack a lot of Bible verses, or maybe any today, I do believe that the substance behind what you're getting and the outline notes will really help you as you begin to start walking your way through John and learning who John is. So who is this John? Well, most of you have books in your library at home, and if you pull off a book that has a jacket on it, you're going to look at the book, you're going to look at the title, then you're going to look at the jacket. And as you look at usually the inside flap of the jacket, it's going to either have the person's name and or a picture of him, and then we'll give you a little bio so that you know a little bit about the person who wrote the book that you're about to read. Sometimes as a side note, when I'm talking to people that have gone to Bible college or seminary, or if I hear from you and you're going to uh, some particular church in the mainland and you tell me their name and I haven't known it before, generally I'll ask you, by the way, where did that pastor go to Bible college or seminary? And the reason I do that is because generally people are a product of their education. They really have a leaning in that direction, especially if they're immersed in it and they're a card-carrying seminary kid. That'll tell them that. Well, if we want to know a little bit about the Gospel of John, it might be good for us to know a little bit about the writer of John. Now, you'll notice I chose the word very carefully. I didn't say the author of John, because John is not the author of the Gospel of John. He's the writer of it. The author of the Gospel of John, if you really want to be technical, is the Holy Spirit, because these men wrote as they were inbreathed by the Spirit of God. So yes, God is the author, but God the Holy Spirit is the author, and John becomes the writer. Now, when you begin to read through the book of John, and it's a wonderful book to read through, and you begin to study the life of John, you're going to find, as you go into the Gospels right here, that from time to time, there will be critics of it, meaning this. 
Did John really write this? In fact, there's a lot of stuff on the internet now, you can Google it, that will even indicate, and there's strong evidence, that believes that John did not write the Gospel of John, that it was written by Luke. And you could do some study on that if you'd like and come to your own conclusions. I, at this stage in my study, and I've done a lot of it, looked at both arguments, I still believe that John wrote John. We call that external evidence and we call it internal evidence. External evidence will be what other people have to say about it. And then internal evidence is what is it found on the inside of this. So let me talk just a moment about some of the external evidences so that when you're reading the book of John, you know that it is John and that John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this truly is God's mind on paper as it was written by John. A couple of the external evidences is simply this. First of all, the Dead Sea Scroll shows it. Carbon-14 methods indicate it was. The authenticity of John as the writer has also been given by tremendous Bible uh, scholarship, competent Bible scholars that have said that. But if I take us further back, which is really important, which would be who lived nearly at the time of John or at the time of Jesus or shortly thereafter, who lived in that mix that could actually say this really, really did happen. Now, let me give you a little argument about this. There are people today, and I think if, are, if your heart is right, you'll agree, that believe that the Holocaust never occurred in Germany. I know for us, we go, oh, how can they ever? But there are people that purportedly will believe that it did not occur. That being the case, all you have to do is get around anyone who is a child who had family that was in the Holocaust, they will absolutely tell you it did occur, and a plus a whole lot of other external evidences. Well, going back to this, not the Holocaust, but to John writing this, listen to these people who said John was inspired by God. This was God's mind on paper through the writer John. One is a guy by the name of Theophilus who happened to be the bishop of Antioch in AD in AD 80. Irenaeus, in AD 190, he then said that John wrote it. Now, here's the interesting thing about this guy named Irenaeus. He was a student of Polycarp. So Polycarp was his mentor and his teacher that taught Arrhenius. Now, the best part of this is that Polycarp was mentored and disciple, we might say, by John himself. And so Polycarp, knowing John, and John isn't a liar, all right? I mean, we all lie, but he isn't known as a prevaricator, fraud, all right? He then indicated he wrote it. Polycarp believed John wrote it. Polycarp told Arrhenius that he wrote it. And again, a lot of the people that lived during that time knew experientially that John was the writer of it. We move a little bit further into history. Clement of Alexandria in AD 200 and the Muratorian Fragment. So there's a lot of external evidence that says that he wrote it. Now, I know that's a lot of stuff for those of you that came to church to say, how do I uh, overcome debt and how do I have a better marriage? I know those are sensitive issues and you really need to know it. But what I'd like to tell you is that the advice that you'll be given on how to take care of your Christian life is going to come from the Bible. And for you to see the power that's in the Bible right here and the accuracy of it and the veracity of it will give more punch to when the scriptures are given to you, hopefully then to say, boy, I better um, listen to God's word. This really is true. And now I know from internal and external evidences that it is. Well, in studying about John, the writer, here's what I've discovered, and now you can take out your notes and maybe fill in some blanks if you're given to that, all right? He was not John the Baptist. So John, the writer of John, was not John the Baptist. John the Baptist's parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth, and they were older at his birth. He was John the Beloved. I like that term beloved, and I'll kind of come back around full circle with that, but you could refer to him as John the Beloved. We already know that his parents were Zebedee and Salome. In fact, he was known as one of the sons of thunder. Now, a side note, I won't die on this hill, but I might fuss over it a little bit. 
I don't think the thunder of Zebedee and Salome was Zebedee. I believe that the thunder really happened to be the mama. Because if you follow the story of John and his other brothers, the sons of thunder, it's always the mama that seems to be the, uh, the, the big uh, dominant person in it. So she might have been the thunder in the relationship. I won't die on that hill, but just a thought there. Number three, he was a Jew. And I really like that part because there's a lot about Christ because he was Jewish that we will learn, and he being a Jew really can give us a perspective on all of that that will open us up, especially for those of you that want to hear the story, and you just hear the story, but you don't know, that it really has a Jewish heritage all the way back into the Old Testament, which is like taking that rose and opening it up into a full blossom for you. So being a Jew is important. But he's not just a Jew, he's a Palestinian Jew. Now, I use the word Palestinian Jew because that's kind of an area, like a geography of it all. So he'll be able to give us local details about the area. So when John is writing. He's been there. He knows the area like the back of his hands. And let me tell you, I enjoy talking to people on this island that have lived longer than perhaps most of us on this island have lived and know this island like the back of their hands. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Bob who lives just a few blocks or a block from our church. You don't see him, you don't hear him much because he's very quiet, very wonderful man. He's the guy that'll walk around, but at night and on weekends when there's a flood, he's usually in the, the trenches out here digging out the junk so that we can have a clean flowing stream. We have others that help out, Kaipo and Devita and uh, uh, Lance and others, but you'll see him doing it all by himself out there. I've helped him a couple of times. So we asked him one time, what about all these streams and how they happen and what, what goes on? He can tell us stories we've never known. Why? Not that he's a Palestinian Jew. He's a new Anu native, we'll call him, okay? He knows the background. So I'm excited to know that the guy who's going to tell me about Jesus has been there, done that, lived there, smelt it, tasted it, walked there. But in addition, he's also a personal observer of Christ. So he's not someone who heard about Christ that's going to write about it. Everything that he's going to write to tell us is because he eyeballed him. He really knows him. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to think I'm a name dropper, and you're right. I'm going to drop a name. Get ready. About a year or so, maybe a year and a half ago, we received a phone call up at our office here at church. And it was from a, a group of people that were producing a movie here on the island called The Descendants. And they asked us, is it okay if they use our parking lot to park their big food truck here and that all the actors and technicians and all the workers could come to the food truck and eat? And so I went, hmm. And then they said, oh, by the way, we'll feed any of your staff who would be here for that. And you're wondering, why didn't I call you to be here that day? Well, anyway... So the truck shows up, and uh, we were kind of sequestered off to the side because we couldn't really mingle with too many of the people. But when they were all fed, or before they were fed, we could come. And let me tell you, this food truck here was like no food truck you've ever eaten. They had eggs benedict, lobster, shrimp, steak, on demand, they would feed. I'm telling you, I couldn't get my staff back up in the office. No, I'm just joking. But the point still being, they fed everybody. Well, while we're watching all of this, because we're like star-struck teenagers... There's this black SUV that pulls in, backs in, and a bodyguard assistant, another guy, I don't know what you'd call him, I, there's a technical name and I don't know enough about it. He gets out and he opens the door and George Clooney walks out. And so George Clooney walks across our parking lot and so, I don't know, maybe one of you are here, we tried to maybe get up to say hi to him. I wanted to put tracks everywhere and preach out. You know, I do everything I can to get the gospel. Couldn't do that. They surrounded him, so he walked by. And so I'm... A personal observer. I can tell you, he's no taller than I am. He's almost as good looking as I am. 
I can tell you that he wore the same green shirt that he wore in the movie because they're filming here in New Uano at this particular time. Now, I'm only saying that because it's not about George Clooney. It is because I had the opportunity to see him at that very moment. John basically lived with Christ. He saw everything about him. So when we're hearing these stories, they really happen from someone who was there, not someone who got an email from somebody else about an event. But he was also an apostle, which kind of cranks it up a notch, turns up the volume. Being an apostle now means that he was handpicked. Well, first of all, you had to see the Lord. Then he was called by the Lord. Then he was ordained or appointed by the Lord. He had to do special signs because God empowered him with signs until the word of God was completely closed and a canon was done. And so these guys were special. And so he had that special relationship with the Lord. And that means he was intimately equated with Christ. Not just, I'm a Jew, I live in the area and I saw him. He was up close and personal. And I especially like this as well. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, to me, that's a little bit stronger of a case for the internal evidence that John wrote it. Now, I'll be honest, you'll know this if you study it. John never mentions his name in here. The closest he mentions his name is he spells it O-T-H-E-R, the other person, all right? But he doesn't use his name in here. However, in the phrase where it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the name John in Greek means whom Jehovah loves. So he is referred as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was also, his name means whom Jesus loves. Now, that is a very weak link, I realize, But it's still something there. And I thought about that. John, whom Jehovah loves. And then I realized, we have one of our guys that helps out with our youth and keeps our building clean and operating. John, and his last name is Johnson. So he's doubly loved by the Lord. All right? So what a name, John. Son of the one who loves the Lord. Well, anyway, back to this. So he's a disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, those are some great truths that might have helped you to see a little bit better of a picture of, of, of Jesus by looking at John. I want to give you some more technical stuff. I wish I had the time to open this up. We would be in this long beyond my lifespan if I spent every day on just one verse. So let me give you some background just so you know. John's family. John had a mother, a very wonderful, I believe a very tender-hearted person, which might have meant that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree with John. She was the one who ministered to Jesus, followed Jesus around. In fact, she was one of those that went to the cross with Jesus and even put spices on his body after Jesus died. The apple still didn't fall far from the tree because as John was known as a fisherman, his dad was a fisherman who owned a fishing boat, as we find. And so with all of that, he had the training, the mentoring, at least the modeling of what fishing was all about, and probably some money if he owned his own boat and had his own business. John himself was a su- successful fisherman, and Jesus called him when he was mending the nets at the same time. There's a lot of evidence to indicate that out of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, that John would have been the youngest one out of the group. And he was part of the trumpet, which would be Peter, James, and John. Remember that? Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. Remember that old song? All right, that was the three. But even out of the three, he became the closest one, the most intimate one. He was treated with greater familiarity by Jesus than any of the other apostles, at least indicated in Scripture. He sat next to him at the Last Supper. He was entrusted, this is tender, He was entrusted by the Lord to take care of the Lord's mother. He leaned on Jesus' bosom. Now again, how did John die? Well, we know this from from, uh, church history, that all the apostles were martyred. John was also martyred too. He was martyred by taking his body because he took a stand for Christ and they actually put him in boiling oil. Fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, he did not die and they pulled him off of that. And since he didn't die... 
they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. Now, most of us already know that part of it. Then even on the Isle of Patmos, there was a new emperor that came out. They released him and he went back to Ephesus where he did a lot of his writing. So yes, he was martyred, but he didn't die a martyr's death. And let me tell you, probably if you died a martyr's death, it was quick and mostly painless. He had to live with the scars and the pain for the rest of his life. And yet he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. So I ask you now, how many books in the Bible did he write? Can you do that, Bible trivia people? Obviously, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. That's four. And what was the last book? The Revelation. Okay, so he wrote five of them in Scripture. So that's a little bit about the Gospel of John's writer, John. Now, we're going to give you a little overview of the book. Let me tell you a story about Carol and me. We... um. <clears throat> We still get lost in the island, okay? Oddly enough, we still can get tangled up in downtown Honolulu. How many of you lived in this island and you still find yourself needing to go another way against a one-way street and you get lost down there? Raise your hand. Where are my, my island people here? We still do that. And so sometimes now, do we go here, we go there? Well, one of our men in this church uh, works in an office building that's basically right downtown, but more towards the water. And I've had the privilege of going along with others to his office and sometimes having meetings or attending meetings or just visiting with him. Our, pa our pastoral staff sometimes will have our, our day-long meetings because they have a beautiful conference room. I love going there. It's so high up in the building. I love to look out at the water. But now when I look out, I can look down and say, oh, that's where that street is. And oh, I see now this is a better way to pull into the Aloha Tower Marketplace. And oh, look at how they're doing over here and over there. And you're probably, why am I telling this dumb story? Because sometimes while we go verse by verse and section by section, it'll be good because we'll drill deep. And if you drill deep into God's word, the deeper you go, sometimes the cooler and the fresher the water might be in the well. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.